Truth Espresso, episode 52. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello, this is Daniel Minnick. Welcome to Truth Espresso. We are continuing a series talking about abortion and the right to life. And my guest with me in this episode to talk about the topic of the right to life. How do we discern it? How do we be consistent with it? And how do we argue against and how do we answer arguments from abortion based on the idea that somehow human beings in the womb have less of a right to life than human beings outside the womb, or really the question is, what is the unborn? And so in the last episode, we talked about the issue of George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement. So Chelsea, we talked about Black Lives Matter. We talked about the issue of racism and the current issue with the death of George Floyd as a systemic thing as Black Lives Matter and the rioters and protesters have proposed. But let's shift gears from that and because we talked about the value of human life regardless of ethnicity, skin color, age, gender. So if all lives matter... What are some arguments other than this issue of so-called race or ethnicity about whether some lives are more valuable than others? And particularly with the, the issue of the unborn and their lives mattering, we encounter some arguments from abortion advocates as to why we have the right to take their lives, or as they might euphemistically call it, terminate a pregnancy. But so I know that Scott Klusendorf, who is a pro-life minister and he uh, does a lot of formal moderated debates against abortionists, he also does a lot of presentations and he has formulated what he calls the sled argument that encompasses a lot of the arguments that people will give as to why the unborn can be terminated or killed. And so the sled argument starts with the letter S. The issue of size, so S stands for size, and so is size the dividing line for whether we have the right to take someone's life or whether one's right to life is less than the right of someone else to take their life if they wanted to. And so is size, like say, you know, okay, you have this tiny little baby. We think about conception. It's like, oh, it's just one cell or a few cells or even when you get to, say, six weeks when you have a a beating heart, but that beating heart is like a little bit bigger perhaps than a grain of sand or a tiny little pebble. So it's this tiny little thing inside the mom. Does that justify taking the life of an unborn child because it's tiny? I mean, what do you think, babe? No, I agree that size does not add or minimize the value of 
a person. Just as if you have a newborn and a toddler, the toddler is bigger than the newborn, but the toddler does not have more value than your infant. They both are valuable. They are both made in God's image, like we have mentioned before. Yeah, and like we understand from embryology and human stages of development, um, a human is always changing. You don't have this ontological formation in the womb, and then somehow you have this stasis of human existence where you just have this static human. Like a human being is changing from conception to the grave. You have ages, you have the infant, you have the toddler that you mentioned, the toddler eventually grows up to an adolescent, to a teenager, you know, to a young adult, to a middle-aged adult, to an older adult. And so there's change in size there. But, you know, okay, so if size mattered, like there is a variation in size, even if among human adults. Take uh, Robert Wadlow, who is the uh, Guinness record holder of height, and I think he was eight feet, 11 and a half inches tall, so he was just shy of nine feet. And <laughs> I don't know of many people in the world, there's probably only a handful who are over eight feet tall. But let's say you take someone, I know Scott Klusendorf has compared, he's taken the example of Shaquille O'Neal, who's, I think he's seven foot one inches tall. He's a big guy, you know, over 300 pounds. So he's a force to be reckoned with when it comes to basketball. And then you take a pygmy in, in Africa. Both of these are are black people but there's a huge difference in size and height there does shaquille o'neal because he's seven feet tall is he worth more more valuable or is he more human than someone who's six feet tall or someone who's five feet tall like when it comes to the nba uh they would draft someone like shaquille o'neal because he can play a better game of basketball he could dunk easier you know height matters size matters when it comes to the nba but that has nothing to do with human worth and so size doesn't determine human value or whether someone has a right to life or not, as we could see outside the womb. And so why shouldn't we apply that as a principle for humanity inside the womb if human life begins at conception and if human life is always developing from the moment of conception, always changing from inside the womb to outside, from childhood to adult to seniority and into death there's constant change there is no stasis there so there's no status point to where someone has ultimate human worth we should be able to understand that size is not a factor that determines humanity or worth whether that life matters yeah, I agree that um, size doesn't matter. But what about younger children or infants or even the unborn? They are dependent on their mom for survival. And isn't that at a cost for the mom? Shouldn't the mom have the right to decide if she wants to continue the pregnancy or not? Because now she has this dependent human being inside of her, sucking the life out of her, as some pro-choice people might argue. 
Yeah, so I think is that the letter D on the sled, the degree of dependency? That's one of the arguments that Scott Klusendorf will bring up because what about the right of the mother to financial stability or some kind of uh, quality of life? And we can't dismiss that. I mean, that is a thing. We can't wave our hand and say that's not an issue. It is an issue to consider. The question is, how do we deal with that issue? So, okay, so a degree of dependency, so a, a child in the womb and the unborn is totally dependent on the mother for survival. And so does that make the child less human? Well, most pro-abortion people would say, no, they're fully human. But does that mean that their life is less valuable because they're vulnerable, because they depend more? Well, I think Scott Klusendorf has brought this up, but also justice for all, as we went to one of their training sessions, they have what's called the trot out the toddler argument for the pro-life case. And so if we're talking about the unborn and we mentioned the issue of size, which is kind of related to this, but a lot of the issue with the unborn here is the degree of dependency that you mentioned that because the unborn is dependent on the mother, that therefore the mother then has a right to kill the child so that this dependency is eliminated. But we can ask the question, well, what about a two-year-old? What about the toddler? What if the mother believed that she was in a situation where she could take care of the child while, while the child was in the womb? And, you know, let's say the pregnancy went very well, no complications. The child was born. It was a wonderful experience. But then now as a two-year-old, what if the child got an injury that was costly and difficult and something that was hard on the mother to be able to deal with? Well, if we ask the question, because that child is extremely dependent on the mother, that two-year-old, that toddler is extremely dependent on the mother, does the mother then have the right to kill that toddler to eliminate that dependency because it's difficult like we're not saying that there aren't extremely difficult situations but the question is how do you deal with it is the solution killing the child or are there other solutions you know if we talk about morality and even families families should be able to support each other this is Um, not necessarily a legal issue we're talking about. It's a moral issue that there's always an alternative. There should be places to seek help. Family can help out. Church can help out. Neighbors should be able to help out because it seems that in my view, kind of the leftist thinking is almost trying to turn people into individual automatons whose primary relationship is with the state and not with each other. And so we have to think of things philosophically as what should the state do or how if someone has a difficulty, the the solution has to be something provided by the state with taxpayer funding. But the answer does seem to be there, there must be a viable alternative. There's help to be sought, adoption, whatever. Those are the solutions first overthinking that the solution has to be to kill the child, whether in the womb or outside the womb. A child in the womb is dependent on the mother. You know, even if we were to ask the question of most pro-abortion people, 
<laughs> who would say that the mother has a right to terminate the child inside the womb because of dependency and vulnerability, you know, we could ask the question about the two-year-old, the toddler, and we could even drill them and say, well, what if it's a single mother? You know, what if it's not a married couple? What if it's a single mother? Does the single mother have a right to kill the two-year-old? Most of them would say no, and we could ask, well, what if she got laid off from her job? Does she then have the right to kill the two-year-old? And they would have to think, but pretty quickly, usually the answer is no. And we could present whatever kind of difficulty into that mix and ask all kinds of questions. What if she had some kind of health problem herself? Isn't she allowed to kill the child then? And usually the answer has to be no matter what you throw in the mix there, the answer would be no, she doesn't have the right to kill the child. There's got to be another solution. And so the degree of dependency there shouldn't determine whether a human being can be killed or not, whether inside the womb or outside the womb. Yeah, I agree that most people would, when you bring out the toddler case, that most people would say, no, killing a two-year-old is not acceptable. And when you ask them, okay, what would that be? They would say, yeah, that'd be murder. That'd be wrong. But what about inside the womb? You can't see the baby. Isn't it just a blob of tissue anyways? If it's inside the womb, doesn't that make it okay to go ahead and kill the baby? Because right now you're talking about bringing out the toddler. So that's outside the womb. So if we just leave everything inside the womb, would it be okay? Would that justify abortion? So I think the sled paradigm, I think this is the L for location. So does the location of someone determine whether that person has an ultimate right to life that isn't trumped by the right of someone else over their life? <laughs> I think Scott Klusendorf will give the example of what if I move? What if I change my address from one house to another? Does being in one house versus another house determine if I have a right to life or not? Or whether I'm more human or not? Of course, I Obviously, we'd realize that that was absurd. And so the address of where you reside should not determine your humanity or your right to life as a human being. But if location, being in the womb, is the determining factor, I think really that argument then goes into other arguments of philosophy, you know, the bodily autonomy thing, which I think we want to get into that one more in depth in the next episode. So the idea of location, of being inside the womb, does that mean that a child has less of a right to life or is less human than when that child takes its first breath outside the womb? Does a two-year-old then have more of a right to life than the unborn five seconds before it comes out of the birth canal? Let's say, I know, honey, you deal with, you've done about a hundred births, yeah. over a hundred births. So the birth process is not instantaneous. Let's say that when a, a child is being born, is it about eight inches or so through the birth canal? About six inches. About six yeah. inches. So during the process of birth, you have, um, you know, measurements of dilation you also have what's called crowning where the baby's head is coming out. 
So once, say, a baby's head is halfway outside the womb, does that mean that that half of the baby's head has a right to life, but everything else can be killed? Or let's say the baby has got its shoulders out. Does that mean the head and shoulders, you're not allowed to kill that, but you can kill what's still in the womb? Obviously, I think most people would believe that that's ridiculous, but we had these the procedure, I think, in the early 2000s where you had the, the partial birth abortion ban, but you had the partial birth abortion procedure where someone could determine close to the end of pregnancy to have an abortion and so you'd have this process of abortion starting inside the womb and I know sweetheart you could describe it more and I think you might have on the first episode that we did where there's even a partial delivery or or maybe even a full delivery of the child and killing the child in the process and so abortion procedures can even deliver a child out of the womb and still kill the child and we mentioned the bills in new york and virginia where the idea was a 24-hour waiting period of being able to determine whether a an infant outside the womb could be killed and so yeah there's that location thing there's also that time thing and so what really makes a child less human five seconds before delivery and five seconds after delivery or even in the case of those bills 24 hours after delivery so it's interesting with the partial birth abortion that you brought up and the whole birthing process so with one type of partial birth abortion and this was the type that they put a ban on in the early 2000s was that it was okay to do an abortion as long as the baby's shoulders were not delivered so if the baby's head came out and you decided to kill the baby right then or if that was the goal all along, you just had to make sure the shoulders weren't delivered. Well, after delivering so many babies, it's really hard to control once that head comes out, how fast the shoulders come out. So, of course, a lot of abortions do actually occur once the entire baby is delivered. So, even though there was a ban on that type of procedure, it wasn't extremely helpful in making any progress in eliminating partial birth abortions. Yeah, and so that kind of goes to show when we're talking about the arguments and the philosophy about what is the unborn, it seems that if you don't regard all human life without discrimination as valuable because they're created in the image of God and therefore one human life has just as much right to life as another human regardless of size, environment, location, level of development, or degree of dependency, you kind of have to have this progressive thinking as you mentioned with the partial birth abortion procedures shouldering on an epistemological or ontological or philosophical level how does shoulders have anything to do with whether someone's human or has a right to life it's completely arbitrary and relative and that's really the point when you're talking about absolute truth we have to ask the question does absolute truth exist and if it does we should be able to recognize this absolute truth and i believe that the pro-life position is all about recognizing absolute truth, absolute equality among humans regarding individual rights, among those being the right to life. And when you degrade that, when you dilute that, when you try to argue a philosophy of abortion, you can be nothing but relative. 
Now, when it comes to the issue of location, some people try to have the position that, well, bodily autonomy, if it's inside the mom, she could do anything she wants, she can kill it at any point inside the womb, and then outside the womb, she can't. Well, of course, we see with those infanticide bills that that hardly seems like an absolute line of demarcation either. It's all relative If you don't take the absolute truth of the absolute right to life and not to be killed intentionally of any human being, regardless of skin color or ethnicity or size or degree of dependency or location, you can only find yourself in a position of arguing for a relative solution that is always subject to change. And of course, if you're trying to promote something that you believe, uh, yeah, we got this now, but... and this is this is right and this is the legal position at this point in pregnancy or at this point in the womb or outside the womb or even 24 hours after birth at some point you have to realize that there is no satisfying there is no absolute so-called abortion rights it's always a sliding scale it's always a slippery slope and what did the eugenicists promote i don't want to invoke i forget there's some kind of law on the internet that any kind of discussion with arguments at some point on the internet will ultimately devolve into someone mentioning hitler or nazis bringing that up as an argument and so i don't want to invoke godwin's law but to bring up hitler and the nazis or even communist regimes the idea that even fully grown or adult human beings you know want to talk about systemic racism or all kinds of things like like that, that some human beings outside the womb, based on some arbitrary factor, have more value than other human beings. Well, you look at the issue of abortion, the very slippery slope issue of so-called abortion rights, where there is no absolute truth. It's just a progressive, constantly changing thing, constantly arbitrary. What can you ultimately end up with where you even have to have this concept of 24 hours after birth. Well, maybe that's not enough. Maybe we need 48 hours. Maybe we need one year to have enough time to determine if this is viable or not. Or as we mentioned, trot out the toddler, the two-year-old. What if two years is not enough? You see, there simply is no end to this and it ultimately devolves into racism or some other form of discrimination. So if you don't start with absolute truth that's found in the word of God and the truth that the gospel shows that all lives matter and that you have equal justice, all lives find themselves as children of Adam, subject to sin, subject to death, subject to the consequences of sin, and all of them subject to the same need for the gospel. And so that is why the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God the Son, both God and man, fully divine, fully human, who was born. He was in the womb of Mary. He was born of Mary. He grew up as a child. He experienced all that human development. He lived as an adult, and he willingly gave his life 
on the cross to pay for the sins of humans and that if they believe that his act of, of death paid for their sin was a substitutionary atonement, then they can have forgiveness from the sins that they committed in breaking God's law. And all human beings are equal in this regard. And the gospel goes without discrimination for ethnicity or national origin or age or gender. And the gospel and the Bible is the ultimate equality. It is the ultimate justice. And so I know, Chelsea, we were watching the documentary from Marcus Pittman called Babies Are Still Murdered Here. And it made the point that the ultimate solution when dealing with the issue of abortion is the gospel. And I know some people mean well when they're trying to make the battle against abortion and for the pro-life message to be just a purely secular, scientific, or ecumenical thing. But What proves ultimate truth when you're trying to make the case for pro-life, which is based on ultimate truth, absolute truth and equality, you can't really do that without pointing people to the source of ultimate absolute truth, which is God and his word and the gospel. And so I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Truth Spresso as we have talked about the issue of abortion. And I hope just as much as it has kept our minds open and kept us vigilant in the Word of God and researching and dealing with the issues that our society face today and how we as Christians should interact with society, understand difficult situations, understand issues of racism and devaluing human life, I hope that you could realize and join us in understanding that absolute truth and the Word of God and the gospel itself is the only hope against the battle of abortion and winning the battle of ideas and that only the gospel shows the equality of humanity under God. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 